the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham. You are listening to Seth Leibson's show, and I'm filling in for Seth. And hopefully my buddy's having a good day, and uh, sometimes it just happens. We get to have the substitute, and hopefully uh, you enjoy it as much as I do. I'm enjoying the time here, and as like anything, when you start digging in, and you have to explain or try to share information with people. You do a little bit more digging, that's for sure. And you learn as much as you possibly can when you can. As you know with Seth, he is one of the smartest guys I've encountered in my life. And he's able to process and ingest information and recall the information in an effective way. Many of us, and I'm sure lots of you listeners, are obsessive readers and love to dig into what you possibly can. And one of the things you try to do is you try to understand both sides of the nickel. Because if you are a fiscal conservative and you deal with people that are fiscally liberal, and I mean this tax and spend liberal, not those that understand free market dynamics and such, but those people that are on the opposite side, you have to think about what they're trying to accomplish and why would they do certain things and what the impact point would be. So when you have a strong economy, the economy evolves, right? You start to get to a point where you start to create and manufacture jobs and opportunities by being very smart fiscally. And one of the things, if you look back, and I, I believe Seth actually spoke about this on his show uh, just a week or so ago, we talked about Robert Kennedy and John Kennedy and, and some of their statements as it related to taxing the public and saying that solving a lot of the fiscal woes is you don't tax to try to create revenue. So you do that if you're lazy, if you're not an innovative culture, if you're people that are trying to do the best you possibly can with what you have, you don't skin the people to try to pay the bills. See, what government, when government says they're going to tax more, they're going to spend more, and they create all these rules, what they're saying to you is you don't have the capacity to do it yourself. I mean, really. They believe that government is smarter, and they're trying to get to the same outcome where we want jobs, opportunity, prosperity, and safety. I wouldn't throw freedom in there because I think they want to limit the freedom because you're not smart enough is their perspective as it relates to this. So we start talking about free markets and allowing the markets to kind of roll around and do themselves. You're going to let people spend. Mendez here in their state, he's one of our representatives here in the state of Arizona at the state level. And I was in a debate with him, a, a public debate at Arizona State University. And we started talking about how I started speaking about how Governor Ducey had created an environment here that was uh, many businesses were starting to migrate to our state. And I listed off a few of these businesses. And he looked at me and he goes, well, I've seen some of these businesses. And I believe you guys don't want these businesses. Or you, I believe that these businesses are bad for you. So I'm putting up opposition to these businesses. And it was so perfect. What a setup for me. I looked at him and I said, and I said this to the crowd. I said, did you hear what he just said? He believes or he knows that these businesses aren't good for you. So he's trying to block them from coming to our state. So what if they're technology businesses? What if they're film businesses? What if they're industry that has a bad reputation as it relates to whatever it is? Okay. Shouldn't you have the choice if that's the profession that you want to pursue and you want to get a job at those locations or maybe that's the only place hiring for heaven's sakes 
And these, they bring in and start offering 3,000 jobs or 10,000 jobs. Eleven. But Mendez says, I don't like that company, so I'm not going to let them come here. And you don't get the choice to go to work there. So when you start thinking about free market economics, if you give people choices and you allow the economy to kind of roll around itself, if that business doesn't do well here, it's going to leave, right? Or it's going to fold up and close up. If it does well here, then we should propagate it. We should stoke it. We could do whatever we possibly can as a citizenry. And they do that through consumption and supporting the value that comes from spending the bucks with that particular organization. So what happens is, is when we reduce taxes, it puts money back in the consumer's pockets, generally speaking, and those consumers get to go and choose where to go. Well, tell you what, I, I eat out for food here and there, I'll eat sometimes at Chick-fil-A, I'll eat a Subway or I'll go to a Korean restaurant that we love or a Thai restaurant or what have you. But those jobs, those companies are small companies, right? There, there are many cases as small little operators. But what we're doing is we're putting people to work there. 74% of the job creation happens there. When they start to hammer these small businesses that are 400000 or up in income, then what happens is it's going to start stifling job growth. When they start to force a minimum wage like he's doing at the federal government level, trying to raise everybody up to 15 bucks, you do that in private sector, guess what? You make it so it's harder for these companies to grow that are barely making it with their profit margins as it, as it stands. Now you start to layer on environmental regulatory dynamics. You start to do this. Trump, in the first, I don't know, maybe two and a half years, three years, he removed 1,700 regulations out of the EPA. What that did is a lot, a lot of companies just go, oh, these agencies shouldn't have the power and authority to institute these rules that are not laws, but they treat them like a law. If you break the rule, you get busted, okay? And they do that. And when he did that, people started to breathe. They started to go, okay, we can do this again, and we can start to make things roll and move forward. When you start to compromising people's capacity to be innovative, then you start to take away their desire or the incentive to be creative and to be capital investors and things like that because the risk is too great and the reward is minimal. And so leveling the playing field doesn't really level the playing field. Again, people say, hey, you know what? This whole utopian society that people talk about where we hold hands, sing kumbaya, we all live in the same color condominium and we share the same size homes and stuff and nobody goes hungry and nobody goes wanting. It doesn't work that way. Because remember, somebody's got to make the decision, what color are those condominiums painted? What, what type of furniture goes in there? What type of food do they have access? What type of rules do they have around them? Somebody's governing it. So it actually polarizes power, and people get lost in thinking that the economy somehow is going to kind of work itself out as it relates to it. Now, when we talk about countries that have resources and, and, and power. When you start to compromise your economy by going into debt or creating hyperinflation, which it's one thing or not. We'll see how the Fed responds to a lot of this uh, inflationary discussion that's happening. We've seen metals floating around or moving around quite a bit. We've seen this cryptocurrency dynamic that's happening, and we're seeing people's investment behavior starting to change, and the yield curve is changing in the bonds. So it's happening, okay? And we'll see how the Fed responds to it. But when you have resources and you have the ability to kind of help in a way. Think of a triangle. At the tip of the triangle, if you were standing there, we'd call you the hegemon, the king of the hill. And right now, the United States has been able to secure, re-secure that position, not perfectly. And what it does is you have this, people talk about military outreach. Why are you in this region? Why are you in that region? What have you? It's not to, to be this exemplary power or to try to stifle people or be tyrannical. What you're helping to do is manage the free trade zones. If you look in places like near Iran, where the Sihamous, if you look at what's happening in that region, if, if 
Iran were to get a nuclear bomb, and if their forces become stronger and stronger, they can pinch off all the free trade. They would never nuke Israel. People say they're going to nuke Israel. They won't. There's too many holy properties there. So much holy land and, and history there for the uh, for that particular culture. So they won't do it. Okay, But what they can do is they can pinch off the free trade zones and starve Israel and starve neighboring communities that are allies. And then you'll start to see allegiances change because of what they're doing with the economy. So when you have somebody that wants to be there and is a good actor and kind of balance the trade zones, it works. Okay, so having a presence is important in so many different ways. Why do we need to have a footprint there? Well, because this is an area of free trade. You look at the Asia Pacific, you look what's happening in the Middle East, you look at South America, Latin America, Central America, or you look at all these different components as it relates to all of Latin America, I should say. You'll see it. You'll see the balance and you'll see where people are. And, and same with Europe. And so you see these strategic footholds that we have in different places. They're essential and they're important. But we have to have the resources and the health to do it. And right now, if you look, one of the quickest and fastest ways to look at a country's wealth or their uh, debt, what have you, is there's an app out there. It's actually called Debt. And this Debt app will actually show you what the debt-to-income is for nations. And this is such a telling dynamic because when you start thinking about like going to get a mortgage or something, they look at something called debt-to-income relationship. How much debt do you have to the income? And if you're over 30%, generally speaking, in most cases, you become a risk. And if you look at other nations, there are this app will actually look at that. The United States is over 100% debt-to-income. At this particular point, the, the reason why that is a scary reality is because the IMF starts to monitor or supervise countries when they cross over a debt to income of 70 percent. And we're over 100 percent to compare. Russia right now is at 41.9 percent. Very healthy, very strong economy. The United States is at 110 percent debt to income. So we get to this point, we start thinking about economic policy. If you're not afraid of the debt and the spending that this president is doing, you need to be, and you need to make some noise, emails, calls. You may not think they do a lot. They do because they lick their finger, shove it in the air, and they're looking for public opinion the way things are going. If you want free stuff and you're on the dole, well, you got the right president. But I got to tell you, freedom isn't free. And as we move through time, you're going to start to see the constrictions in your quality of life because it's going to become very expensive for you to do things. And then it's going to compromise our national security. Speaking of money, we come back from the break. I'm going to share with you what's happening in these cities that are defunding or restructuring law enforcement. It is sad to say the least, and and you will be blown away. We'll be back after the break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and we just went into the break talking about the hegemonic cycle, but just really hegemons, this balance of power that's happening within the country and the world, and then the impact points that we're seeing in a lot of different places. And what we're seeing as it relates to violence and crime and just the, the different perspectives and such, one of the things that, that, that one of the hardest things for me to get my head around, and as a friend, John mentioned earlier that I 
was in the financial services world. I was. And when you look at the stock market, for instance, and investing at large, there are two main motivating factors, and that's fear and greed. And so people get terrified of the market, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you have to do everything. They sell, 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 and they get themselves out really quickly, okay? And the masses do this. They do it in kind of waves, like a three-step wave, but it comes out. Like people just react the same way. Then they start getting greedy, and it swings the other way. The pendulum swings entirely the opposite. We see this momentum that's unusual, again, in a kind of a three-phase. We have institutional people getting back in. You've got your more sophisticated people, and then you get the general public that get back into it. So you see this big swing. Well, what we see happens in public opinion, we see the same type of pendulum swings. Okay, so we have this horrible situation that happens in Minnesota where we have George Floyd that is killed, basically, by the policing that was happening with Chopkin kneeling on his neck and he basically suffocated the man to death. My, my brother's a police officer and he's made it his career back in Michigan. And one of the things he talked about posting, right? If somebody's handcuffed and laying flat on their stomach, eventually the same thing is going to happen to everybody because they can't breathe. Eventually, the way that their arms are behind their back, it makes it very difficult. So you want to have the person, the suspect, this person that is is being cuffed or what have you. You want to get or a subject, you want them on their side. You want them in a place where they can lean against something or do something where it's going to allow them to breathe. And so he just talked about how this was pretty darn negligent and um, did what he did. Now, this, again, is my brother speaking and talking about this. So what happens is, and now we've seen a number of instances that have happened such. If you look at the instances that have happened and some that we can argue that were just policing, that people responded to the way that people were behaving and they did it and they did it appropriately or what have you, but they have this massive public outcry. I mean, it's just crazy. The defund police and all this happens. You have Black Lives Matter that comes out. And, and quite honestly, their message got – if you have a public, if you talk to some people that are my friends that I've seen wearing Black Lives Matters, and you have a conversation with them, they have a, a more healthy perspective of the way things should be. And you have this open discussion. Then you watch people in the media. I've listened to some people interviewing and go, my gosh, what an extreme consideration, especially when they start talking about defunding the police. If you were to get in a fight or be violent, I think with any one of these people that are yelling defunding the police, who are they going to call when something happens? Likely they'll call the police and they'll expect the police to be there and be responsive and help to solve the situation. So, again, back to the hypocrisy of the left. But it's a lot of times it's perspective. It's the public voice that just swings, that pendulum just swings. And they're like, oh, we need to all defund the police. And when you get to that point, it catches an amazing amount of momentum. Politicians, those without backbones, you'll see, again, lick their fingers, stick it in the air. They're trying to see which way the wind is blowing. And then they start to think, okay, well, look, all this is happening. Then you start seeing people like Mitt Romney out there marching with the Black Lives Matter people and all these things. And if you look at the extreme dynamic with some of the people he marched with, you go, my gosh, if you look at some of the normal people that were out there marching, you go, okay, I kind of get it. They, they have a story and they're supporting this. But these organizers tend to have extreme perspectives. Well, they've done it. Minnesota's reworking things. We've seen an incredible rise in violence in New York and Chicago and some of the most major cities in our nation. And I have a little clip here uh, for that from Gretchen. and Or actually, this is uh, Sarah Hing- Let me see here. Let me make sure I have it right. I've got it all queued up here. 
It's Ingram. So good old Ingram angle. So let me put it on here and you guys can hear this. I've got a couple clips queued up, but I want to get you this one here first. But I want you to listen to what's happening and some of the things that are in these different cities. Tends to be such a victim. Black Americans across the country are actually being terrorized by an explosion of what Brandon talked about in uh, violent crime. Just this past weekend, New York City saw Times Square bystanders, including a four-year-old, shot in crossfire. Another tourist was stabbed with a screwdriver on the subway. Now, to the south in Philly, there were over 20 people shot with four killed. According to the Wall Street Journal, nearly three-quarters of Chicago's spike in murders comes from the city's predominantly black south side and largely Hispanic west side. In New York City, homicides rose 47 percent last year, largely concentrated in Brooklyn neighborhoods with a long history of violence, as well as the Bronx and Harlem. So why wouldn't the former First Lady or Gail King spend their discussion on that reality? Because they can't afford to admit that the growing violence is a result of months of unchecked BLM riots and the campaign to defund and demoralize the police, all of which the left supports. So you get to the point, you think about it, it makes sense. Okay, let's, let's use children as an example. Okay, my house, six kids, you have... Um, those that behave well sometimes and those that behave not so well sometimes. And that includes all of them, right? We have rules in our household. And guess what? They push rules. They challenge. They want to know what the consequences are going to be. Maybe they don't want the consequences to be a certain way. And let's say you don't enforce it. So you say to your kid, hey, if you do that on your phone, I'm going to take your phone away from you. And every time you say that to me, never take the phone away. Well, guess what? You're not going to change their behavior because there's no accountability standard at all. We have these laws and law enforcement, right? They get out there and people are trying to enforce the law the best they possibly can. They don't want to be pinned as a racist or do anything, but they want to do the best they possibly can. And we start looking at the crimes and the patterns of crimes. Criminals are going to push it as far as they possibly can until they get in trouble. Well, what's happened in this whole BLM and the, the I mean, you have protesters that are throwing bricks at police officers getting caught and being released because mayors, police commissioners, political people put pressure on these individuals saying, don't charge them. They're just they're just expressing themselves like, wow, as they smash a window and then run in, grab 17 pairs of Nikes and run back out. Is that an expression or is that an opportunity here? So what's happened is you've got this interesting blur that's happening where you have the human part of humanity trying to just understand. We talk a lot about white guilt out there where people are like, I just got to help. And then what they do is they get on the bandwagon and then you start hearing the stories and the momentum happens and the politicians get on it. Oh, before you know it, we're defunding different capacities and we're starting to change the way we do laws and enforce them. And then as it relates to prosecution, you have some prosecutors that are stepping back from any prosecutory justice on people that have broken the law. So again, why have them? How do you change people's behavior or maintain a more civil community if you do not set standards and rules and you do not hold the people accountable? The accountability is the part that does it. This is not just happening in the United States of America. What's happening is we forget that many nations look to us. The people of those nations look to us and say, that is the way we want to be, the United States of America. Well, now what's happening is you have other communities that are witnessing this unrest and the civil discord with police officers, and it's starting to take its toll on the rest of the world, the rest of the civilized world. We come back from the break. I'll give you another example. 
It's pretty sad. And the reality is, it's hurt. And how is this going to hurt you? Well, what goes around comes around. I promise you that. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and you're listening to 960 The Patriot. And we're trying to bring you something that you've heard a lot about and try to give you some insight here and there and just really what's happening. Again, it's no surprise. We've heard the defunding police dynamic. My brother it was interesting, and many of his friends would ask me, do you think it will actually happen? And, uh, and I would say, no, it's not reasonable. I just can't imagine the public would ever support this to happen to where we would start to see defunding at this particular level where billions of dollars, in some cases, some cities have billion-dollar reduction in their budgets, like New York City. I got to tell you that it's mind-blowing to me to consider it, okay? When you have the – and one of the things I think it is is that we don't realize how comfortable we really are until things start to be taken away and we start to see these crimes. I've been to New York City multiple times, and I've seen people running through Times Square, but I've never been there when somebody's shot at or things of those nature. I haven't heard stories of people getting stuck with a screwdriver on on the train. And what what happens is, is you know, sometimes I know I forget and we all forget that a lot of times the people that are in office, they're telling us exactly what they're going to do. I mean, they tell us, they say, look, I'm a progressive whatever. Look at Bernie Sanders. One of the reasons why I think Bernie Sanders had such a following is because he just said it. I'm a socialist, you know. I'm going to have these socialist policies get in there. The people that believed him and believed in him didn't have a problem doing it because he was telling us. And, you know, if he would have been elected back when he ran with Hillary Clinton, I think, honestly, people would have still said, I can't believe he's doing this. Well, wait a minute. He told us he was going to do it. And we see that same dynamic with a lot of our electeds right now. And so these people that were calling for defunding the police are still in office. And guess what? They get to make those decisions, whether it's a city council, whether it's at a state level or what have you, they do it. And that's the impact point that you have. Now you start looking and the impacts are not just here in the U.S. Check this out. So in France, in France, where my family has spent quite a bit of time. We love France, and for a number of reasons. It's a beautiful country, and we feel at home there when we go and visit. And the French police, this is a headline on Financial Times, say enough is enough as violence against officers rise. Almost every weekend in Paris, they talk. if you've been there before, you see these convoys of police vehicles making their ew sound and booking all over the place and doing their things. But convoys... Of these white, white police vans are speeding all over the place, sirens blaring. They're unloading squads of officers to stop this unrest that's happening. Now, it's just not them being dressed up in anti-riot gear trying to stop people from organizing these riots or protests. But the police officers are being assassinated in the same way they are here in the United States. And that's where it just gets crazy. So the police officers and the, the unions there are organizing together. And they're actually going to do a march and they're asking for a citizen march to stop the madness. Start to understand this is not the way we do things. And so when you have this lawlessness, it just rolls through communities and it gets there. You'll start to see more and more of this in other countries that are developed nations that are following the example of the United States of America. And what happens is the criminals see and they can push and these communities push and they start to realize how far 
They have. They start to learn how long the rope is before they get tugged back into reality. And right now, the tolerance for criminal behavior is absurd. We have lawmakers that are condoning it. They're promoting it. They're suggesting it, like Maxine Waters and others. And when you start hearing that, you start going, oh, my gosh. I mean, they give Trump a hard time where he says, hey, stand up for what you believe and go ahead and protest and rally together. And then Maxine Waters is basically calling for people to get in your face and to be aggressive about it. Okay, and that's a very different comment, but she tends to find her way not being accountable as much as our President Donald Trump was. So it gets it gets to a point where you look at the hypocrisy and you get pretty freaked out about it. Now, talking about lawlessness and where we are, we have to talk about the border. Okay, in Arizona, when I talk to friends that live in other states, they don't quite understand it the way we understand it. And if you spend any time along the border, if you spend any time in northern Mexico cities and towns or on our border cities on this side, you don't quite understand it. Even up here in the Phoenix, and you start thinking about what's happening in places like Hila Bend and Tempe and others, you know, that you have one of the biggest distribution centers of drugs, illegal drugs here in Tempe, Arizona, and human trafficking right here in our backyard. If you don't understand it, then how can you really make a decision about it? We've heard encouragement of our president and vice president to come visit our border, for some reason, they just aren't making the trip. And how do you weigh in on something unless you understand what's happening? If you talk to our ranchers, you talk to our population that live along these borders, you will hear the fear in their voice, whether it's in Arizona, Texas, you name it. You'll hear it because right now people are uncomfortable. And that, that notion of being uncomfortable is a challenge, to say the least. And so when we come back, I'm going to read a number of headlines to you that will probably blow your mind a little bit because this is being said today. This is being said yesterday by the left and what they want to consider with this border. And when you hear the numbers, the sheer numbers that they're apprehending, it will blow your mind. You'll hear this and more after the break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and I am in for Seth Leibson today. Hopefully you are having a great day, and it's almost that time. I don't know if you are all cutting out early or 5 o'clock is still the magic time, but um, I know a lot of you get on the road between 3 and 5, and I know that I end up behind you somewhere on the freeway. It takes me forever to get back to get back home. But that being said, hopefully you're having a fantastic day and things are happening. Well, we just we just talked a little bit about what's happening along the border and uh, before that, we talked about law enforcement and the defunding concept here and then really where we're going. There's a theme that's happening here and this theme across the board. I, I don't know how to speak about it in a, in a graphical sense. I'm trying to do it without being gross. But think of a volcano before it erupts, right? They talk about the pressure that happens and then, bam, it just goes, right? And it explodes. Well, think about a blemish. I'll put it that way. On a human body, you push from every angle and it erupts, right? And so within our country, it's kind of the same way. We have this tolerance slash coexist inclusive dynamic that's putting an enormous amount of pressure on our systems and processes because it's, it's unreasonable in a number of different ways. We see what's happening in a world stage. We'll talk about Israel later and what's happening in the Gaza Strip there 
and really what you think. I'd be very curious to hear what you've got to say about it. And then we've got our, our defund the police. We have the the COVID, one day wear a mask, next day you don't. You have Kate Gallego here in Phoenix, Arizona, who wants to write her own rules. And just for some reason, she quotes science before, but she won't follow the CDC now. She just is what she is. And uh, hypocritical is a great way to say it. But then you start looking at our border, right? The border dynamics, national security and where we go. So I'm, we were talking about the border and what's happening along the border. Let me put it in perspective to you. Last month, they, they said there was 178,000 apprehensions last month. I grew up in Michigan, in a part of Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, then I moved down to East Lansing, Michigan. At the time that I lived in East Lansing, Michigan, I think there were just over 200,000 people. So you have 178,000 apprehensions in one month in our border, in our southern border. And in Michigan, the population in that town was 200,000. So it was almost like you're replicating it, right? You start thinking about it. Yes, many people were deported or sent back. Uh, but there was a huge majority. I think it was about 40 or 38 to 40% of the people stayed and were just dropped in various places in our country. Now, remember, we've got, we talk about infrastructure. We talk about humanity. We talk about all these different things. Look, if, if they put an enormous drain, these migrants, these illegal immigrants that are coming into our country, what it does is it starts to put a big impact on our quality of life and the safety of our country and our, and our people. So I'm going to read to you some headlines that I think are just crazy here. Okay. Democratic, this is uh, down this list here. Democratic Del Rio, Texas Mayor Blast White House AOC as border crisis triggers school lockdown. Now, there was a lockdown that happened where about a dozen illegal immigrants crossed over, and there's a school that's very close to the Rio Grande, and they tried to break through that fence and get into the school property while the students were in school. It forced a school lockdown. They had to call the authorities and do all this. Again, maybe they didn't know where they were going. Maybe they're trying to hide. Who knows what's gonna ha- what was happening at that particular point. But they made it across the border, and then they push. Now, again, you can only apprehend so many people because you only have so many people. Border Patrol agents, and they're doing the best they possibly can with the flow. The flow has increased, and it has absolutely increased since since Biden's been in office. AOC, our fun uh, Casio-Cortez, comes out, and she says, Dozens of House Dems cite racial reckoning to oppose targeting gang members for deportation. Well, let the scumbags, and I will say this because these gang members are scumbags, which are looking at MS-13 and stuff and they get there. Let the most violent people in our communities, the people that are preying on our communities with drugs addictions, with human trafficking, you name it, violence, and going on, let them stay because it's profiling. Whatever. Yes, it's profiling. When they slap the tattoo on their body and say, I am what I am, and they go out and hurt people, yes, you have been profiled as a violent criminal that doesn't belong in this nation. You need to go home. And if you want to be violent there, go home and be violent there. But take it out of our nation. We're not a safe haven for violence. That is crazy. And that's really what they're saying because why? They want to be nice? Next one, Dan Crenshaw clashes with NBC's Chuck Todd on GOP drama. I'm not going to take the bait from the liberal press. He's talking about the border. He does. They try to bait him and they try to race bait. And that's the thing is that this whole conflict, a lot of it happens and they try to find validation, the left, with race baiting. Here's another one. Border Patrol intercepts boat off San Diego coast carrying 23 illegal immigrants. Another one. Texas rancher finds migrant with two broken legs on property. 
Is that safe for that human being when you say, come on in, and they, they jump over a wall and break both their legs? I mean, come on, people. I mean, that's not human. I'm glad the rancher found him so the guy's life could be saved. Ex-border officer smuggled Mexican woman into U.S. to take as her nanny. Next one, Kamala Harris has gone 45 days without a news conference since being tapped for border crisis role. Is she afraid of something? She was asked in an interview yesterday, are you going to go to the border? And she goes, ah, not today. And the reporter kind of laughed and she went on. What is this? Okay. Representative Young Kim to Biden Harris after border visit says, get your butts out there and see it for yourselves. How can you make a decision unless you feel it, the intimacy and the feeling here? And then once you understand it, you can start making decisions. How about this for some statistics? Everything seems to be going so well is what we hear, right? So we hear a lot about unaccompanied minors, and it is the scariest reality when you hear 0 to 17 years old, these people that are being encountered on the border where our border patrol is interfacing and interacting with these people. It's up 100, if you look at, the March of 2020 compared to March of 2021, it's up 163%. I could go through every month and you're going to see these numbers. Just take a wild guess. How many unaccompanied minors came over in March of 2021? 47,642 people, kids. Wrap your head around that. My wife doesn't like leaving my 14-year-old, now 15-year-old, at home for a few hours unaccompanied because she's worried about him, right? We do That's natural. These parents, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to give their children a better life, but come on. We have to manage this process, and we have to partner with countries like Mexico to make sure we're doing it in a smart way. Southwest Border Family Unit Encounters, 92,308 in March 2021. That's 128% rise from the same month a year earlier. Again, Biden versus Trump. This is a pretty good litmus here. Southwest border single adult encounters. Take a deep breath. It's up 209% in just the month of March 2021. 410,460 encounters. Look, we are under siege This is not just a few people coming across the border. It's not some rancher saying, well, I had five people this year come across. These are hundreds of thousands of people coming across our southern border. Now, this is what they apprehend and they encounter. How about those that they're not encountering? How about those that they're not apprehending? At this particular juncture, we have a problem, Houston. Okay? I think the rocket has fallen apart. And we have to do what we can to control, manage, and maintain our sovereignty as a nation. Again, the progressives can wave their banner and they can celebrate this. But there will be a point when their lives and their quality of life is going to shift as a result of the impact of this illegal immigration. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and again, I'm in for Seth Liebson. We were just talking about the horrific, terrifying numbers of all the encounters, they're calling them, that our Border Patrol has on our southern border. 
I mean, if if it doesn't make you feel something when you start hearing about the challenges that are happening, 47,000 unaccompanied minors in the month of March, that is horrifying. And I'm looking at the Border Patrol. This is U.S. Customs and Border Protection's website. Man, you hit it. This is the statistics. People want to know. People were fishing for this in their website, so they put it on the front page. You land on their page, there it is. Okay? So you'll see this, and it makes you just go, oh, my gosh, this is so horrible. Then they get to the point where they start to look and say, where are these kids coming from, for instance? So the southwest border unaccompanied children encounters by country. El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Mexico. Okay, you look at that. The two biggest are Guatemala and Honduras. Okay, you look at that and you go, my gosh, it's massive. So you have, again, you have fewer than like 2019, but then the number drops dramatically in 20, and then boom, it comes back. And you just look at these numbers and you say, oh, my goodness gracious. And you start seeing that just radical, radical changes as it relates to this principle and policy. Look, if you promise people you're going to wave the magic wand and create citizenship, if somebody's not documented and they say, well, I've been here eight years and that guy's only been here two weeks, prove it. You can't. Okay, so that's one of the biggest challenges. And that's why there's such a surge and this siege, sieging, you know, this that's happening to our country. And we have to be very, very careful. It used to be said back in like 2014 or whatever that the impact of illegal immigrants to our country or to our state of Arizona just based upon infrastructure. Uh, you, you look at crime, hospitalizations and schooling and all this stuff. It's about a $1.3, $1.4 billion against our budget. That's massive. Right. It's just huge. And that we have to take care of it. If people are contributors and they're doing it the right way, that's a very different story when you start to see the outcome, because we have generally resources to help offset the the added expense when people move here and they migrate here and this happens. So all of this being said, where does it come from? The last one of the one of the interesting experiences I had right after Donald Trump got elected in 2016, I was down in Mexico meeting with some officials and I had a president. I mean, excuse me, a governor of uh, Chapez, uh, he basically poked me in the chest and said, you want to solve the problem here? Help me build a border wall down here, my state, between my state and Guatemala. And he basically said, that'll solve it. And he goes, then they won't come into our country and they won't make it up to your country. And the wall would be much, much smaller than your southern border. And so you have the reality that smart leadership interacting with the right people can find its way to solving some pretty fantastic problems. At this particular point, we have crises happening across the board. You can stick your head in the sand or you can do something. We've got an election coming up and we'll be talking more about that in the next hour. Who should be the next governor and who is throwing their hat in the ring at this particular point? Again, this is Robert Graham. You'll get an inside scoop after we come back. 